After Mark Forster was hired as the first non-UK director of a James Bond film, he decided to meet with scriptwriters Neil Purvis and Robert Wade in order to start editing the script the pair had written. It needed some work, and as they started to create a shorter film with a more political-based plot and more realism, they realized that they had the workings of a good script on their hands. Those rewrites were finished exactly two hours before the Writers Guild of America strike began, and that meant that when Forrester hoped to make new edits down the road to make the script better, he wouldn't be able to. Welcome back to Cases of Continuity, where we are continuing our deep dive into the James Bond film series. My name is Ryan, I am your host, and for our 22nd episode today, we're diving into the 22nd James Bond film, Quantum of Solace. It follows right on the heels of Daniel Craig's introduction as the main spy in Casino Royale, the biggest and most popular Bond film ever at the time of its release. As such, it became necessary to follow such a film with something that could delight and enthrall audiences to that same extent or even more. So, that's where we get Quantum of Solace. Whether or not that film would live up to expectations is another matter entirely. Before production on Casino Royale had even started, scriptwriters Neil Purvis and Robert Wade had already started working on the script for the following film. They wanted to tie the stories of both films deeply together. For James Bond to fall in love and suffer a loss in Casino Royale, and then to recover from that loss and go out on his revenge arc in the following film. The original story of this film was going to be quite different. The intention was for Bond to break into and infiltrate the secret organization that Mr. White is a part of, similar to the plot of License to Kill. However, after Roger Mitchell stepped down from directing due to the slow work on the script, and the finalized draft in 2007 was read by new director Mark Forster, it was decided that some changes would be made following the beginning of the WGA strike. The action sequences in the film were themed around the four classical elements, earth, air, fire, and water. The first main action sequence in the film relates to Earth, where James Bond is involved in a car chase throughout the rocky countryside just outside of Venice, Italy. There's fire near the end of the film, where Bond and the main female lead of the film, Camille, end up fighting off and then escaping from a burning hotel in the Bolivian desert. There's a boat chase in Haiti that fits nicely into water, and an airplane dogfight over the Bolivian desert that fits very much with that air idea. There's also a sequence in the film that deeply references that iconic opening scene of Goldfinger, where Jill Masterson is killed and then painted with gold. In Quantum of Solace, a similar thing happens to a potential love interest of Bond, except she's covered in oil instead, representing that oil has now become more precious than gold in modern society. 
The title was actually decided on a few days before it was officially announced to the public. It takes the title from a 1960 short story in the For Your Eyes Only short story collection, but there's no plot basis in that story. Instead, the idea of a quantum of solace is about reaching closure, and the title Quantum portion also ties into the name of the secret organization that Mr. White is a part of that's revealed in the film. Keep in mind that Eon Production still was not able to use Spectre and as such created a new secret organization for this film. At this point, though, it was still necessary for the script to undergo some reworking. It certainly had the bare bones of a James Bond film, but a lot of the depth and a lot of the necessary fleshing out of different characters and scenes wasn't there. Unfortunately, professional writers couldn't be hired to work on it because the strike was ongoing, and both Forrester and Craig were not writers themselves. As such, they had to try to rewrite some scenes while on set, and that worked out quite poorly because neither of them had any significant writing experience, making this film incredibly difficult for the pair to film. Had this idea of a revenge film, not a love story, but it was unknown whether that would actually come through in the final product. Meanwhile, Daniel Craig was undergoing some extra training in order to become more physical for the role in this film than he had been for Casino Royale. Model Olga Kurilenko was cast as Camille Montes. She was the female lead of the film and based her character in Michelle Yeoh's performance as Mei Lin in Tomorrow Never Dies. Matthew Amaric was cast as the villain Dominic Green. He decided to base Green in the politicians having a hidden evil underneath a suave and debonair surface. It's very similar to what was seen by the main villain of Colonel Moon in Die Another Day. As you can see, a lot of these characters seem to quite have a basis in some of the characters that had previously been seen in the Pierce Brosnan era, which is quite interesting. As filming began, six countries were used. First, they started in Italy. They filmed a horse race separately, but the director wasn't too sure of how that would fit in. He just got the footage because he thought it was interesting and later ended up using it for a piece near the beginning of the film. They then headed to Panama City, and that served as a stand-in for both Haiti and Bolivia, at least for the city portions, before finally heading to the Atacama Desert in Chile. However, the mayor where they were filming in Chile ended up protesting. He was extremely offended that Chile was serving as Bolivia. He didn't want people watching the film to think that Chile was Bolivia. He protested, was arrested, and was put on trial two days later. Later reports stated that many of the locals quite disagreed with the mayor as they were upset that, as a result of his actions, future film companies might be less likely to film in Chile harming their economy in the long run. The team returned to Italy, this time in the city of Siena. They found that it was cheaper to use real fake tops rather than create fake rooftops in different parts of the studio for later, and as such, they ended up filming on top of the rooftops while they were there for a chase sequence. They ended up filming a scene as well where Bond killed Mr. White, but they deleted that scene just in case they decided to bring Mr. White back later in the series which they eventually would in the film Spectre. There were multiple car accidents on the film set as well, and 
Daniel Craig even lost his fingertip while ultimately recording the film. This led to many individuals stating that there was a curse related to Quantum of Solace. The team was headed to, over to Austria and ended up filming on a floating opera, a scene that required 1,500 extras, before finally heading over to Pinewood Studios in England for four weeks filming with sets. The Alfa Romeo car was used in the opening sequence, and four of them were specifically used in that chase scene. Camera cranes would be built in Siena as well for the chase scene. Everything was coming together. A dogfight was used, and a snakehead camera was placed on the plane nose for this scene as well. As they returned back to the United Kingdom, a free fall was used in an air tunnel, with Krylenko and Craig performing their own stunts. Their performances while editing the film were placed in a synthetic environment, and in total, over 900 visual effect shots were in Quantum of Solace. It came time to work on the music now that the editing had been completed. David Arnold returned. Meanwhile, Jack White of the rock duo The White Stripes, based out of Detroit, and pop artist Alicia Keys worked together on the theme song Another Way to Die. This was the first duet theme song in the entire James Bond series, and even included White on drums and Keys on piano in addition to singing the song. Originally, going to be Mark Bronson and Amy Winehouse performing this duet, and they even had a demo recorded. However, Winehouse got into some legal troubles, and as such, they decided to drop out from doing this performance. The film was released in October of 2008. There were a lot of promotions with such companies as Ford, Smirnoff, Coca-Cola, and many more, but they'd learned their lesson from Die Another Day and didn't significantly push product placement in the film. The film ultimately ended up having a budget of somewhere around 200 to 230 million dollars, and it made a respectable 590 million dollars at the box office. This was the highest grossing opening ever for the series. However, there was quite a bit of mixed criticism about the film. Critics seemed to like the action, but they were extremely upset with the script, which they said was bland and didn't have a lot of depth to it. Quite understandable considering that the amount of edits were severely limited due to the strike. The characters were not very fleshed out, and Green was especially a bit of a bland villain. It seemed like the film was pushing grit above all else, including the story. And naturally, there were comparisons to Casino Royale included, with Casino Royale certainly being the superior film. Roger Moore even commented on the film, stating that although he thought Daniel Craig was a fantastic James Bond and he fully supported Craig in the role, he disliked the editing in the film, stating that it felt more like a commercial than a full film. And having watched the film, I can entirely agree with Roger Moore. It feels like the film is so quick and so brief, and although Forrester really wanted it to have a snappier, quicker feel, it ultimately feels more like we're watching the, an extended trailer for a James Bond film than the full film itself. As such, this film certainly has its struggles, but that's not to say that it's entirely bad. It's neat to see how it ties into the previous film in the series, and how it, to some degree, tries to push the series forward. So, let's dig a little bit deeper into how it fits into the series and what the story within the film is. Let's get into the story within Quantum of Solace. Yeah, 
mentioned during the history portion, Quantum of Solace is very much a revenge film. It picks up directly where Casino Royale ends, where we see James Bond has taken Mr. White hostage in his car and ultimately escapes from a car chase from White's men before finally having him captured and interrogated along with M elsewhere in Italy. However, White ends up escaping. There's people on the inside in MI6 who work for his organization, and M is concerned about how this organization that White's a part of has people everywhere. It is, of course, necessary for Bond to try to find White, as well as to try to take down this organization. However, it's also personal for him. He's learned that Vesper's boyfriend supposedly had his body found. However, after DNA analysis was performed, it turned out the body was fake. It was not him. Seemingly, he's still out there, and that makes things quite interesting. Now, there was some money that was utilized by MI6 in the Casino Royale game, and it had pieces of tracing on it. They were traced to Le Chiefs account, and from there, to port off prints to somebody who worked somewhat alongside Le Chief. Bond heads to Port-au-Prince in Haiti and ends up finding the man who had deposited the money. He ends up killing him and then is given a briefcase at the desk before being picked up by a woman. This woman's named Camille and as it turns out she is about to be assassinated by the man that Bond had killed and it's only by Bond's actions that she's been saved. Camille doesn't realize that and thinks that it is in fact Bond who's trying to kill her, and she heads off towards a warehouse owned by Dominic Green. Bond follows her, and it's at that warehouse that Bond starts to learn a little bit about what's going on here. Green is meeting with a deposed dictator slash general, a man by the name of Madrano. It turns out Camille is attempting to go after Madrano. Meanwhile, Bond first meets with Green and tries to get some information from him. However, after it appears that Camille's been kidnapped by Madrano, Bond gets on a boat and escapes from Green's men who are chasing him and escapes with Camille as well. He's starting to learn about what's going on and meanwhile, M gets a call from the Americans stating not to move on Green. They're making some kind of business deal with him. Green seems to be attempting to buy up some land in Bolivia, in the desert, for some purpose, and it's going to be given to him by Madrano after Green gets Madrano back into power. Whether or not that will be successful is anyone's guess here. They start to follow where Green's going and follow him over to Austria. Bon heads there to a gala, some kind of opera, and He's given an earpiece. From this earpiece that he ends up taking off of somebody who is involved in the situation there, he hears this private conversation going on between Green, White, and other members of the secret organization. Bond ends up mentioning that he's on the line, and as they run, Bond ends up getting some faces to send back to MI6, but things are starting to not go Bond's way. He's being told by M that he needs to come in, and he refuses. He instead heads to Italy and meets up with Mathis, and he gets some assistance from Mathis, the only person that he knows he can trust after MI6 is reportedly and repeatedly telling him that he needs to come in because 
he's not supposed to be on this investigation. Mathis, although bitter about his previous circumstances, ends up heading with Bond to Bolivia to attempt to see what's going on. Strawberry Fields is the MI6 agent sent there to attempt to bring Bond back, and with the flight being the following day, Bond receives an invitation from Green to a party, where Green announces that he's going to create a better future through ecology and attempting to use environmentalism with all the land that he's buying up. Of course, Bond knows that's not the case, and Camille, who's also there, is actually actively undermining Green. Bond ends up getting out of there before Green's men come any closer to him. However, he and Camille are stopped along the way by the police, and it's found that Mathis is dead in the backseat, clearly killed by Green's men, and Bond is being framed for it. He and Camille dash off to the desert and end up trading for a plane so that they can fly over the land that Green is buying up. However, their plane gets caught up in a dogfight and gets shot down. They end up walking to a nearby town, and then they take a bus back into the city where Bond ends up calling the Americans there who are still attempting to work with Green. He ends up getting in contact with his old friend Felix Leiter. He meets with Felix, and clearly Felix doesn't agree with everything that the Americans are doing. He gives Bond some information that the money that Green is providing to Madrano is going to be occurring at a hotel in the desert. He's then told by Felix to quickly get out of there because otherwise the Americans are going to be arriving and taking Bond into custody. Bond and Camille head to the hotel where Felix said the deal was going down. We find out that Camille's family was killed by Madrano. Her father went up against him and Madrano took revenge. As such, Camille wants revenge against Madrano. She wants to kill Madrano, whereas Bond wants to kill Green for everything that Green and his organization did against Vesper. They end up getting into the hotel, and they ultimately both exact their revenge. Camille kills Madrano. Bond ends up defeating Green and sends him out into the desert, where after he's gotten some information about Vesper's boyfriend and about the secret organization named Quantum, Bond knows that there's no way Green will live long enough. He gives him a container of uh, different fluids for the car, and ultimately Green ends up drinking it in the desert to avoid any further harm that Quantum will bring upon him. Meanwhile, Bond and Camille have officially recovered and have really come full circle with their revenge arcs. Bond has one final thing left. He ends up going to where Vesper's boyfriend is with some assistance from M, who is once again very much on Bond's side, although truthfully it seems that she always believed in him. He ends up meeting Vesper's boyfriend, who's now with somebody from Canadian Secret Service. He tells the person from Canadian Secret Service that this man is once again playing her like he did with Vesper, and then Bond ends up turning in this man to MI6 for further interrogation related to Quantum as our film closes. As one can tell from the summary, it's a very twisty-turny film, and the story feels unnecessarily complicated. It's interesting because it seems like many of the James Bond films are better when it's a simple concept that's then really fleshed out with cool locations and entertaining characters, and the films that are more complicated try to do too much and ultimately fail, much like this film. On the one hand, I respect how experimental the concept is. Having this film tie deeply into the previous film, we've never seen James Bond films tie into each other this closely before, and I absolutely love that. Lots of continuity. 
The locations are neat, and as such, the cards that are used for naming each location are neat as well. Different fonts themed around the location they're in. That's cool. Neat editing there. It's also neat to see Bond and the female lead not have a romantic relationship. Although they exchange a kiss at the end, it seems more amicable and platonic than romantic, and I think that's a really cool aspect that we've never seen in the series before. So, there is quite a bit of good in this film. However, the film really feels like a part two to Casino Royale, and I don't think that's a good thing. On the one hand, it's nice that it ties into Casino Royale, but it should also feel like its own film, rather than serving as a conclusion piece to everything else we've seen, and I think that's a problem with this film. The film also really just doesn't have much to it. Feels like the story is very light, and we're just being thrown to different plot points as we move through the film. It's way too short, and it desperately needs more time to flesh out the ideas that it has. The script struggles in places, it's trying to do too much at once, and it really needed to be pared down in my opinion. And the editing is really difficult for me as well. It's very choppy in places, not at all smooth. There's an over-reliance on the chase scenes and the action scenes, and it feels repetitive at a certain point. And I really wish that Mathis's character had been better used in the film. It's neat that it's somebody that Bond has betrayed, albeit accidentally. Somebody who's upset with Bond, and yet he's chosen to forgive Bond and assist Bond because he respects that Bond is able to admit his mistake. I wish they dove into that more instead of having him be killed off so quickly in the film. Pacing's rough for me, and ultimately it's just anticlimactic after how fantastic Casino Royale is. So ultimately, I am certainly not the world's biggest fan of Quantum of Solace, and I really think that the writer's strike, probably above all else, and potentially Mark Forster's vision as director as well, are really what harmed a potentially interesting concept. Of course, Green is also a bit of a bland villain as well, and I'm not sure that that necessarily helps the film either. Let's talk about some continuity, though, because there's quite a bit. Of course, the film picks off directly where Casino Royale left off, with Mr. White in the trunk. We left off in Casino Royale, where James Bond had just arrived to Mr. White's house and had the gun pointed at him. We see the Americans are unhappy that Le Chief is dead. We saw Le Chief be killed by Quantum in the previous film. We also hear about Vesper's boyfriend and the necklace that Vesper's boyfriend gave her. We see a Universal Exports business card, the same cover for MI6 that's been used for James Bond for many, many years, even before the Daniel Craig era. The return of Felix Leiter is only the second time in the James Bond series that an actor has portrayed Felix Leiter in multiple films, this time Jeffrey Wright portraying Felix Leiter for his second time. We see that Mathis is bitter after James Bond was told that he was a part of Quantum in Casino Royale, and Bond believed that and turned Mathis in. We see Bond drunkenly reflecting on Vesper. The impact that Vesper's death in that drowning building in Venice had on him is very significant. It's also really cool for the reference to Goldfinger, where we see Strawberry Fields being killed and covered in oil on the bed. A very clear reference to the iconic Goldfinger scene that we discussed earlier this season, and a really neat inclusion. That's followed by an elevator fight where Bond is fighting off members of MI6 that try to take him in. Feels like the elevator fight from Diamonds Are Forever to me, except souped up to 11 because Bond is fighting so many more people at once. And we see that M is secretly helping Bond, something that we've seen previously in the Roger Moore era especially, where Bond got in trouble with M and with MI6 and 
M is secretly helping him out because M believes that Bond can accomplish that. That was most notably seen, of course, in Moonraker. And then finally, when Bond lets the necklace go that Vesper had given him, he's finally able to, at least for the most part, let Vesper and the pain of her loss go. Even if he misses her and has grief over her, he finally has his revenge arc completed, which is fascinating to me. So that concludes our main two-part arc between Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. However, Daniel Craig's James Bond's series is not nearly over yet. In our next film, it will be time for Bond to not only focus on his future with 007, but to face his past and to face M's past, as M becomes an incredibly critical part to the storyline. Additionally, we'll meet new versions of iconic James Bond characters Moneypenny and Q, who have been missing for the past couple of films, and this next film truly will launch the franchise forward. It's called Skyfall, and it's truly a fantastic and thrilling journey, and I can't wait for you to join me on that journey next week. Until next week, though, my name is Ryan, thanks for listening, and have a fantastic week this week. <laughs>